Well, have you ever wondered what in the world God was up to in your life, or if he was even on the job at all? A time in life when things weren't going the way you hoped, the way you expected. A time when you felt like saying, I know I'm supposed to trust you, Lord, but... The song we heard just a few moments ago was written in a time like that. It's a prayer, actually. Not a very pretty prayer. It's got an edge to it. The frustration and confusion and disorientation. Where were you, God, when I needed you? The song was written by Isaac Slade and his band, The Fray. Uh, Slade is a Christ follower. And he says that he wrote this song during a tough time of his life. He, he, he imagined himself running into God, standing on a street corner, oblivious apparently to everything that was going on in the world. Slade says, sometimes you're let down. It gets hard to know who you can trust, who you can count on. There's some difficult circumstances my family and friends have been going through over the past year or so, and it can be overwhelming. It demands so much of my faith to keep believing, to keep hoping in the unseen. This song is about that feeling and the hope that I still have buried deep in my chest. And we presented that song this morning because I want you to feel that feeling, the feeling we all have when we pray, but Lord. But is one of the many one-word prayers that we offer to God. Now, it doesn't sound like a prayer. The others do. Please, help, wow, okay. I mean, they sound like prayers. You can pray them in church and people will say amen. But, but? Are you even allowed to say but in church? <laughs> Just so we get that out of the way right at the beginning, okay? <laughs> Tee-hee, giggle, and we can all move on, okay? Are we allowed to say but? To God? Now, grammatically speaking, but is what they call an adversative. It implies contrast or discontinuity. As in, we were hoping the Red Sox would be in first place, but they're not. Okay, something like that. It implies objection, rebuke. It's a pushback. My boss wanted me to work late, but I told him I had plans. Now, you're allowed to do that with your boss, maybe, but are you allowed to push back against God, to object, to disagree? Well, apparently so. I did a quick survey of the Scriptures and found all kinds of but Lord prayers. When the Lord was preparing to judge the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham pushed back. But Lord, he said, what if, what if there are 50 righteous people in that city? And the Lord said, well, maybe that would be different. Abraham kept pushing. What if there are 45 and 40 and 35? And they negotiated back and forth. God listened. God took into consideration Abraham's objections. When the people of Israel made a golden calf and bowed down to worship it, God said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe these folks out and start over with a whole new group. Moses objects. 
Lord, why should you be angry against your own people? What about your promises? What about your reputation? God not only listens to Moses' objections, he actually relents from his anger. In the New Testament, uh, an angel appears to an old priest named Zechariah and says that he and his wife are going to give birth to a child. <laughs> Zechariah pushes back. You don't know how old I am, Lord, and my wife, well, she's well along in years. Well, Zechariah gets struck silent, but the Lord gives them a son, even in their old age. When Jesus tries to tell his disciples that he's going to suffer and die, Peter rebukes him. Never, Lord, these things will never happen to you. Well, Peter gets rebuked right back, but he continues to be the Lord's main man. Apparently, we're allowed to disagree, to object, to push back and pray, but Lord. I remember a time in life when some years ago when I prayed a prayer like that. It was back in my former church in New York, and we were trying to expand our, our tiny little building. We had just simply outgrown it. We already had two services going. There was no room in the nursery. There was no room for teenagers. Our, our, our lobby was literally the size of a coat closet. And so we raised some money. We made plans and drew up the plans. We were all ready to go, and the town said no. They said we needed a variance. They wanted an environmental impact study. One of our neighbors circulated a petition around the whole neighborhood against us because she didn't want traffic coming into the neighborhood on a Sunday morning. These, these roadblocks were going to cost all kinds of time and money, not to mention stress and strain and distraction from our primary mission. Lord, I said, what's going on? Don't you know we're trying to do your work here? We're, we're turning people away. Is this really how you want us to spend your money? But Lord, there are times in life when we just don't like the way things are going. We don't understand. We don't agree. Times when it seems like God is absent or uncaring or, or unwilling or unable to help. Times when we want to push back and say, but Lord. And apparently we're allowed to do that. But why? Why does God tolerate that prayer? What happens when we pray, but Lord? Now, let's go to a story in the Scriptures that I think helps us understand better this one-word prayer. It's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. We read a few excerpts from it earlier. It's the story of the raising of Lazarus. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1, John, chapter 11. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. So his sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now we know from other places in the gospel that Jesus is very close to this family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He has spent time with them before. So this must have been disturbing news for him to hear that Lazarus was sick, but he responds in a curious way. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Like we said, that's a curious response. We're told that Jesus loves Lazarus and his sisters, but, but he does nothing to help. He doesn't even show up. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. 
But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago they tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? So here's the first but Lord prayer in this story. The disciples don't like Jesus' plan. Bethany was just outside Jerusalem. And the religious leaders there had already demonstrated their hostility towards Jesus. It was not safe for Jesus to go back to Judea, or for the disciples for that matter. Jesus hears their objections, but he decides to go anyway. Verse 14, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Good old Thomas. <laughs> Always count on him for a boost in a tough time. Now clearly disciples are disoriented here. They don't understand Jesus' response. They don't like Jesus' plan. They're afraid of where things are headed. And they tell Jesus this. And Jesus hears it. But apparently Jesus is okay leaving them in a state of disequilibrium. He really doesn't address their objections other than to say, trust me. But the buts have just begun. Jesus arrives in Bethany a few days later, and, and Martha hears she's coming, hears that he's coming, and she runs out to meet him on the road, maybe on the corner of First and Amistad. Interesting thing about that little line in the song, First and Amistad. Someone asked Slade where it was, as I understand, and he said, It's nowhere, I just made it up. Well, someone searched it and found it. First in Amistad is on a corner of a tiny little town on the border of Mexico, the middle of nowhere. They don't even have a traffic light in that town. The corner of First in Amistad is nowhere. It's anywhere. But that's where she runs out to meet him. Not just to meet him, but to have a word with him. Verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, she doesn't say the word, but it's implied. I'm glad you're here, Lord, but if you'd come sooner, my brother might not have died. So she's confused. She knows that Jesus loved Lazarus, so why didn't he come? Why did he have to wait? Where were you? And then she follows that question up, that challenge, she follows it up with a declaration of faith. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. That's hard to know what she means by that. It's clear from the story she doesn't, doesn't expect at all that he's going to bring her brother back. That thought never crossed her mind. But, but, but like our songwriter, she's hanging on to hope, buried somewhere deep in her chest. One commentator puts it this way, her trust is not shaken by his apparent indifference or disregard. Now, I'm not sure I'd agree that she's not shaken. I think she is shaken, but she's hanging on anyway. And that's why God gives us, allows us the but Lord prayer. That's why he allows us to object and to disagree and to push back. Because by pushing back, we're actually leaning in. We're leaning in to whatever measure of faith we have. We're leaning in for something more, more, more reason, more hope. Give me some reason to believe. 
I know of a pastoral search committee that was uh, pursuing a particular candidate. They sent him a letter and a packet of information, but they got no response, nothing at all. They made a second contact, and they heard nothing, still no response. Finally, on the third try, they, they finally got a letter back, but the candidate said, no thanks, not interested. Well, the committee was terribly disappointed, but the chairman was hopeful. Hey, at least he's talking to us. Nine months later, that pastor was on the job, and now you can't get rid of me. Okay? <laughs> True story. So that's why God allows the but Lord prayer. At least we're talking to Him. We're in conversation. If we can keep that conversation going, if we can keep on pushing and pressing, it just might lead to some, some deeper insight to a stronger faith. So if please is a prayer of petition, and if, uh, if, if wow is a prayer of worship, and if help is a prayer of dependence, and if okay is a prayer of obedience, then but is a prayer of engagement. It's not resistance, really. We're not, we're not refusing to go along. We're not walking away. We're just, we're just pushing back. We're just testing and probing and challenging, trying to figure out God's character and will. I mean, that's, that's what Abraham and Moses and Zechariah and Peter were all doing. Are, are you really, do you really care, God? Are you really good? Can you really do something? Can you be trusted? That's what I was wondering when I prayed that prayer after, after the town said no to our building project. That's what we're all doing, probing, testing, challenging when we say, but Lord. It's a prayer of engagement. At least we're talking, and maybe it can lead somewhere good. Let's keep going. Verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies, and whoever believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So, so Jesus hears her objection that if he'd come sooner, he might not have died. But then he counters by saying that her brother will rise again. Now she thinks that he's talking about the resurrection of all God's people at the end of the age. And Jesus is in part talking about that, but he's also talking about something else, something closer and nearer to her heart. He's talking about a kind of life, a different kind of life that will never, ever end, a spiritual kind of life, an eternal life, a life that can only be found in relationship with him. Do, do you get it, Mary? Martha, he says, do you understand? And she answers, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Now, does she really get what he's talking about? What he's up to? Probably not. She believes he's the Christ and the one who was to come, but she doesn't really say, I believe you're the resurrection and the life. She, she believes something, but she's, she's pressing in for more. Her faith is growing. She's engaged. In fact, she's so intrigued, she runs home and tells her sister Mary that Jesus is out on the road. So, Mary runs out to meet him. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, 
Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's the same prayer as her sister. I'm glad you're here, Lord, but I sure wish you'd come sooner. But Mary seems to be praying it through her tears. It's more of a lament than a rebuke. But it's still a but. She knows that Jesus loved Lazarus and her. So why do you have to wait? Where was he? It doesn't feel like love to her. But she hangs in there, literally clinging to him. And that's why we need but Lord prayers. They allow us to express faith even while we're struggling with faith. It allows us to push back even as we are leaning in. It's a way of clinging. Time for another grammar lesson. Remember we said that the word but is an adversative implying contrast or discontinuity. But the word but is also a conjunction that joins two contrasting ideas. As in, the two of us have nothing in common, but we are the best of friends. Now those two ideas seem to contradict each other. Nothing in common, best of friends, but brings them together. Allows these two contrasting ideas to be true at the same time. And that's how the but Lord prayers work. They keep us connected to God even when we don't understand what God is doing. They allow us to lean in even as we push back. I know you'll provide for me, Lord, but I still need a job. I know you can do something good with this, but I don't see how. The but Lord prayer allows us to hold on to what we know to be true even as we struggle to understand what's actually happening in our lives. And that's what Mary and Martha and Lazarus, all of Lazarus' friends are doing right now. They're, they're hanging on. Let's pick up the reading at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Where were you, Lord? Why'd you have to wait? Years ago in a former church, a woman I know was in the final stages of, of an illness. Her parents came to our church, and so I began to visit her in the hospital, and I guess I was moved by her condition because she was about my age, of, you know, kind of in the prime of life with kids at home and things like that. Uh, for a while, we prayed for healing. But after a while, it became clear that, that this sickness was going to end in death. And so we began to pray for a, a peaceful homegoing, that she'd be free from pain and anxiety. Um, but it didn't go that way. I remember visiting her in the hospital one day, and she was just having an awful, awful time. Pain and fear and, and distraction. The doctors didn't seem to be able to do anything to make her comfortable. She couldn't connect at all with her friends, her family, or anything. It was just an awful moment. It was one, it was one of the worst hospital visits I've ever, ever made. I sat with her mom in the waiting room afterwards trying to process that visit. 
Now, her mom was a strong believer, older than me. I was thinking, if it's hard for me to watch, it must be even harder for her to watch. We prayed, and I remember her praying something like this. Lord, we don't understand why Donna has to go through this. We pray that you would take her quickly and peacefully. But if there's some purpose to her remaining with us a while longer, we trust you to make that clear. Now, my prayer was not that pretty. I waited till I got into the car, and then I let God have it. What's going on, Lord? Why does she have to go through this? We've talked about this. We prayed for a peaceful homecoming. What purpose is this serving? What are you waiting for? I, I was just hanging on to a God I, I believe to be good and there. I spoke to her mom the next morning on the phone, and she said that Donna had, had rallied a bit and was feeling a little bit more comfortable. You know, the next couple of days, she, she actually did get much more comfortable, and, and she enjoyed some wonderful times of connection with all of her kids and her husband and her family and her friends. She and I got to read Scripture and pray together and talk about heaven. It was, it was one of the most peaceful hospital visits I've ever made. God found me in that hospital room lost and insecure in my faith. God found Donna in her sickness. God found her family in their grief. It felt a little late, honestly, but he found us, and we learned to trust him more. And that's what's happening here in this story. That's what he's about to do for Lazarus and his loved ones. At a certain point, Jesus decides he can't take it. He can't wait any longer. So verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Now that's the fourth but Lord in this story, at least four. Martha doesn't like Jesus' plan. It's a bad idea. It's too late, she says. But Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. You see, there was a belief at the time that the spirit of a person hovered near the body for three days, but then was gone. Though Jesus waits four days, so there is no doubt that Lazarus is, is gone. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now remember, Martha, Mary already believes a bit. She believes he's the Christ, the one who's going to come into the world. She believes in the resurrection at the end of the age, but the Lord is taking her faith to a whole new place. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Did he hear what Jesus said? Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Jesus had already taken care of this. He'd made arrangements already, he and his father, probably when he first heard the news about what was going to happen here. Now, am I saying that Jesus engineered this whole thing, that he gave Lazarus this sickness and allowed him to die and put the sisters through grief so that he could teach them a lesson? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying a man got sick, and that happens in this world. I'm saying the man died. That happens in this world. But Jesus found 
them in that moment and met them there. See, all the miracles in the Gospel of John, they're meant to be signs. They are revelations pointing to Christ's power and authority. There's a progressive revelation as you work your way through these seven signs in John's Gospel. For from, from water into wine at a wedding, to the feeding of a multitude, to the healing of a blind man, to the raising of a dead man. Signs, pointers to greater reality. Because you see, Jesus did not come into this world to rescue every lame wedding reception. He didn't. It's not why he came. He didn't come to feed every hungry person or to heal every disease or to revive every loved one. Someday he will do that. Someday he will when he brings history to a close. But this time he came to reveal God's love and power and presence in this world. He came to find us in our joy and our, our hunger and our sickness and even in our grief. He came to help us as we make our way through this fallen world. He came to point us toward a life that is truly life, life in his kingdom. Now, while all this is happening, keep in mind that not too many days from now, Jesus will be inside the tomb. Not this one, but one just like it. Jesus will suffer an excruciating physical death. Jesus will have to say goodbye prematurely to his mother and his brothers and his sisters and his friends. Jesus will end up in a stone-cold tomb. He knows that as he stands in front of a tomb that day. And so he decides that that day he's going to do something about it. This day he's going to point people towards a reality that they can't yet fully understand. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now notice, this wasn't just a, a, a resuscitation like the so-called near-death experiences we read and hear about today. No, this is, a, this is a restoration. This is a diseased body made healthy again. This is a separated body and soul brought back together again. This is a departed one and loved ones reunited again. Now, it's not a full-blown resurrection. It's not a new and glorified body fit for eternal life. That's going to have to wait. Lazarus will die eventually. But for the time being, a dead man has been given new life. And that's the point of this sign, of this miracle. It was a revelation of Christ's power to, to, to give new life, life, life in the face of death and comfort in the face of grief. And what Jesus did for Lazarus and his sisters, he will one day do for all of us. All of us who will have lost loved ones in Christ, all of us who will one day die ourselves. It's often been said that if, if Jesus had not called Lazarus by name, every corpse in the cemetery would have come walking out. <laughs> and someday that's exactly what will happen. At the end of all days, in the final trumpet, in the voice of God, the dead will be raised in Christ. Someday, the Bible says, we will be freed from these frail bodies and from this fallen world. We will be given new bodies fit for eternal life. We will enjoy life with God and His people forever and ever in worlds beyond our imagining. 
the good news, the remarkable news, is that that life can begin today, in this life, the moment we turn to trust in Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. Even though these earthly bodies may die physically, we never have to die spiritually. We simply go ahead into the life to come, ahead of those we leave behind. As hard as it was for Donna and her family to face that moment sooner than they expected, God found them there and enabled him to trust them, trust him in that moment. Donna's mother passed away not too many years after that, and I know they are together now, as we all will be one day. That's the power of a one-word prayer, but Lord. On the one hand, it's an adversative. It allows us to lean into God, even as we push back, to express faith, even when we're struggling with faith. But it's also a conjunction that keeps us connected to God, even when we don't like what's happening. So when we pray, but Lord, we open the door to, to deeper faith and greater trust. When we pray, but Lord, we open the door to deeper faith and greater trust. And that's the power of engagement. And that's something I learned years ago when we were struggling with the town and their refusal to let us build our building. But Lord, I prayed, why do we have to wait? And we did have to wait, and we did spend a lot of money. Two years, tens of thousands of dollars. But important things happened in those two years. We became a more prayerful church because we realized that this was out of our hands. We were forced to build relationships with town leaders and with our neighbors whom we had not interacted with before. And, and by our grace and integrity, we earned the right to be heard in that community. And that woman who circulated the petition against us, she ended up sending her kids to vacation Bible school. And then she started to come, and she came to faith in Christ and drove into the neighborhood on Sunday mornings. That's the power of engagement. That's what happens when we pray that one-word prayer, but Lord, God finds us in a hospital room, or a cemetery, or a courtroom, or a counselor's office, or on a campus, or around the kitchen table, or on the corner of First and Amistad, wherever that may be for you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for coming into this world for showing us the way, for walking alongside us. Thank you for giving us the freedom to talk to you from our hearts anytime, anywhere, with whatever we're feeling and experiencing, knowing that we will be heard, that we will be loved, we'll be brought into a deeper relationship with you. Thank you that you know where each one of us may be on the road of life today. Meet us there, Lord. Turn our hearts toward you. Do something good in our lives, through our lives something that gives us joy and blesses the people around us and advances your glory in this world. Thank you for conquering our greatest enemy. Thank you for the promise of new and eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.